Thank you for joining us for this week's sermon podcast from the First United Methodist Church of Parable. Our Old Testament lesson is from Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. And the word of God says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you. Triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. Our gospel lesson is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls." For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Lord, as we enter into this time of teaching, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. God, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the Jewish tradition, there is this storytelling art that I love. It's called Midrash. And what they do is they'll take a passage of scripture and they'll turn it over in their hands, in their hearts, their minds, and ask questions. And through the story, they'll explore the what-ifs. Well, what about this situation? What if this happened? How do we dig deeper and better understand scripture through a parable or a midrash? And one that I encountered this week from the book of four Ezra's, which is a Hebrew text. A woman asked Rabbi Halafta, What does it mean that God gives wisdom to the wise? Shouldn't it be that God gives wisdom to those who are not wise and knowledge to those who don't have understanding? And she's quoting ancient Jewish literature. It's like a proverb that everyone would have known. And it's also in our Old Testament in the book of Daniel, chapter 2. It says he gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those that have understanding. And here's how the rabbi explained this proverb to her. He said, if two people come to you and they want to borrow money, one of them is very wealthy and one of them is poor, to whom would you rather loan the money? And the woman says, well, I'd rather loan money to a wealthy person because they're more likely to be able to pay me back. And I think they're probably more responsible with money. Maybe the poor person squanders all their money and and they wouldn't pay me back. And the rabbi says, it's the same with wisdom. If the Holy One gave wisdom to fools, they'd just go out into the world and squander it. He gives wisdom to the wise, so they will use it to benefit the kingdom. That's why the scripture says that. Now, you may be scratching your head just a little bit. But I wanted to lay a bit of a foundation so we can understand that that was the common wisdom of the day. Wisdom goes to the wise, understanding to those who already have understanding. 
And I say that because Jesus sometimes will make reference to something that his original listeners would have automatically made a cultural connection to. And that happens to us. After you reach a certain age, you start to say things, and maybe a kid around you will be like, now, do what now? Um, For example, the first thing I could think of is how we say we hang up the phone when we're done talking, right? Because many of us in the room have the experience of hanging up a phone after we're done talking. But anyone under a certain age has only ever pushed a button to end a call, right? But we still say hang up the phone. Um, One that that really got me just a few years ago was I was driving in the car, listening to the radio, and a song came on that was incredibly popular when I was in junior high and high school. You ever hear a song and it takes you back? You just feel, you feel 15 again, right? The memories, and and it was really popular. It It was a cool song. And one of my kids said, oh, that's the song from the Kroger commercial. You know you've reached a certain age when they're on the Kroger commercial or the kid movie soundtracks or even, I've even heard a few on the oldie station from my high school days. Um, It happens eventually. So sometimes these cultural, these references uh, lose a little bit in the translation. And so what is Jesus doing here? Jesus doesn't say what this rabbi has said or what the book of Daniel says, does he? He takes our expectations so often in his teachings and he turns them on their heads. So let's look at what Jesus has said. Jesus has said he takes wisdom from the wise and he gives it to infants. He says that the wisdom of God is available to those who are without, to any who are not full of arrogance, who think they already understand. God's wisdom is best for the humble. Jesus is always doing that, and he continues on. In verse 27, Jesus proclaims who he is, and it's an important reminder to us. He says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Christ is the one we follow. We are Christians. We are little Christs. We imitate Christ. We believe in him. We have faith in him. We find our connection to God through Christ's sacrifice. And he goes on to say what it means to be God. And again, defies expectations. In verse 29, he says, I am gentle and humble in heart. Not arrogant, not mighty, not ruling by the sword. Gentle and humble in heart. And he's following in tradition of what we find throughout Scripture about God. Even in the Old Testament, in Psalm 145, the characteristics of God are listed as good, gracious, merciful, as opposed to common ideas of God then and even now, of vindictive or bitter or out to get us. The text we just read in Zechariah chapter 9 says, See, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey. What does it mean for us to follow a good, gracious, merciful, humble and compassionate Jesus? He tells us in verses 28 through 30, and in the message translation, he says it like this. Are you tired, worn out, burned out? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. In our translation that we used earlier, he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we don't use yokes 
Um, even if you work in agriculture now, you have tractors and combines. We don't use yokes. So I tried to think of what Jesus might say to us today. And I couldn't think of very many examples of how he would say it, but I was talking to one of my daughters last night, and I said, for a student, he might have said, my classwork is easy and my homework is light. That might be what he would have said. My dad uh, is a retired contractor, and so he might have said, my projects always come in under bid, and everybody always shows up for work. For many of us who've had bosses, he might have said, I'm an understanding boss, and my work hours are reasonable. But anytime I come across a passage where Jesus is promising an easy burden, a light load, I do scratch my head a little bit. Because I've been alive long enough to know that it doesn't always feel that way, does it? The first time I read this passage and really made an emotional connection to it, I was in a a valley personally, spiritually, and emotionally. It was a difficult time of grieving loss. Um, My children were all very small. Dennis was a youth minister at uh, the Southern Baptist Church where we used to be. And so it was a Sunday morning. We'd been up for hours. Dennis was at work. We were getting ready to go to church, and I read that passage, and I remember just sitting down in my kitchen floor and covering my face and thinking, Jesus, you lied. This is not easy or light. This life is is heavy and hard. So why does Jesus use that term yoke? It feels a little bit in contrast with light and easy, doesn't it? And when we think of yoking ourselves to Christianity, it can become problematic if we think of it as a slavery, as a complete denial of everything within us, because we have the Holy Spirit within us, don't we? We must be listening and recognizing that the Spirit is in you and speaking to you just as much as me or Pastor Dane or any other leaders in the church. So it's not about controlling others. It's not about maintaining hierarchies or structures of oppression. It's about surrendering ourselves to that which will make us whole, a commitment to offer service and discover fulfillment together as the body of Christ, to find a center from which we can love more because we know we are loved and we belong. Otherwise, Jesus might say, compare the walk of faith to a recliner or a lounge chair by the beach, but he doesn't. He calls it a yoke because our life in the kingdom does involve work. It involves attaching ourselves and committing ourselves. When I was in seminary, uh, one class that especially formed me was the worship class. And our professor had us read a book by Harold M. Best. And the gist of the book was this. You will be yoked to something. You will worship something. You can actively choose to worship God and serve the kingdom of God, or we can by default serve the kingdoms of this world, which don't fulfill, which don't provide contentment and belonging. But we will yoke ourselves to something. I like how we have a give and take wordplay. We receive and take up the yoke of Christ, and we also receive rest. I dug into some of the the Greek in the New Testament of these words and the ways they are translated, and Jesus says this yoke is easy. Easy can also be translated as well-fitting. Burden in Greek is portion. portion. So we could say that our portion is well-fitting for us. Because we are all individuals, and each portion will feel different, easier or harder, based on the way that God has made and equipped us. Galatians 6, 5 says, For all must carry their own burden, their own portion. 
I remember when I was fresh out of college, Dennis and I, uh, before we had kids, we moved to China, and we were teachers there. Um, and we also, of course, you don't go to China and say you're a missionary um, because of the government there, but we also did some uh, ministry, some outreach, some Bible studies in homes. And uh, I was young and still learning what it meant to acknowledge my limitations and my boundaries. I didn't understand that God is the one in control. I just receive and accept the portion that is well-fitting for me. So I got burned out pretty fast. I was exhausted. Uh, it was very, I made it much more difficult than it had to be because I didn't understand the portion God gave me was well-fitting. All the extra was things I was putting upon myself. When I went to seminary, um, I wrote a lot of long papers. I read a lot of heavy books. They call, you know, doorstop type books. Um, and when I went to seminary, I actually went, they had this program, it's called a dual degree program, in which um, you have a seminary class and then it overlaps with social work. So I was pursuing a master's in social work. And the plan was actually, I was thankful to be in seminary and kind of put the pieces back together of a faith I had been taking apart and asking questions about. But I was really planning to be a social worker. But I got to seminary and I loved it. It was a lot of work, but that yoke was easy and that burden was light. And I was surprised to find how much I loved it. And then I got to the social work portion. And let me push pause here. We may have some social workers here uh, in the congregation. And let me say I have more respect for social workers. I know we have a great need, maybe now more than ever. But it was not a fitting burden for me. I struggled every day. Even the easy um, assignments felt hard because it wasn't the load I was meant to carry. It wasn't what God was calling me towards. So we each have an individual and unique load to carry. There's something that Jesus does not mean by my yoke is easy and my burden is light, though. And um, I thought a lot this week about Fannie Lou Hamer. She was a civil rights worker in the 1960s. She was from Winona, Mississippi, which is where my mother was born. Um, and so there's a, a bit of a personal connection to her story. But you may hear there's a famous quote from her where she said, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. Have you ever heard that? I've said it, but more, I was being more dramatic. She really had a right to say it. Fannie Lou Hamer, um, in June of 1963, she was brutally beaten. She was nearly killed and put in jail in Winona, Mississippi. As she was laying in her jail cell, moving in and out of consciousness, um, she was struggling, and she asked her cellmate, Yvester Simpson, she was a teenage civil rights worker who'd been thrown in jail as well, she asked Yvester to sing to her. She said she needed to find strength, and she needed God to be with her. So Yvester sang, walk with me, Lord. She needed to feel there was something bigger that would help her survive those moments, because she wasn't so sure that she was going to. It's so powerful that she reached out and she found connection through a sister in Christ, through the Spirit of God, even in that space. When Jesus says his burden is easy and his yoke is light, he's not saying that we won't be called into difficult spaces to do good work even when it's hard. He's saying God will meet us there. God will meet us where we are and walk through the journey with us. Sometimes, always, it's a good idea when you're studying scripture to see what happens next and what has just happened to put everything into context. And I think what happens next is a great way to close and realize what Jesus is, is saying here. Because what happens next, it's the Sabbath. They walk past a field, him and his disciples. They're teaching, they're sharing the kingdom. Jesus is healing, and they're hungry. 
So they snap grains off of the, I believe it was wheat, but I don't understand how they were eating the wheat raw. But anyway, they were snapping the grains off and eating them as they walked so they could have some food to give them strength for their journey. And the local religious leaders got very offended. And they said, today is the Sabbath, and it is against the law to harvest on the Sabbath. And they are technically harvesting on the edge of this field. And Jesus said, you are totally missing the point. Because sometimes... We put burdens on ourselves. We worry about the wrong things, don't we, in the kingdom of God, and we forget to be concerned with the right things. Jesus has told us, he told us in chapter 10, to obey is better than sacrifice. To go hungry and ignore those grains just because it's the Sabbath is not what God is calling us to. God is calling us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to love God and to serve God. So may that be our calling and our invitation for this day. Lord, may we have heard a word from you more than a word from me. May it take root and sustain us through the coming week. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about First United Methodist Church by going to our website at www.fumcparacle.org. May God bless you this week.